Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to a new episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined once again by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune. Hi, guys. Hey, Andrew. Andrew, how you doing? Doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. Just a couple of plays away from being undefeated, as the Vikings would say. That's what hey, <laughs> best best 0-2 team in the league, baby. <laughs> it's been a real optimistic vibe around the Minnesota Vikings, maybe out of necessity after starting 0-2, but we're going to preview their third game, their home opener against the Seattle Seahawks, a familiar opponent, one whom Dalvin Cook said today, I thought we had a contract that we had to play in Seattle against this team. Nope, they're coming this time to U.S. Bank Stadium to uh, open this up, the first regular season game in front of fans for the Vikings at this stadium since the end of the 2019 season. Is that right, Ben? Yes, it is. I mean, unless you count the, the 250 team employees and family members they had last year, yes, it's the, the first one since um, the Sean Mannion Bowl, right? Against the Bears after they iced the playoff spot already? The Sean Mannion Bowl. I like that. Yeah, so it would have been that meaningless 2019 game, um, regular season finale there. But they're going to need the fans. They're going to need the noise. They're going to need some way to disrupt Russell Wilson. Because, Ben, you were just telling me before this, at some point today you were saying just how undefeated Russell Wilson is against the Minnesota Vikings. Why don't you put that in the context for us? Okay, so uh, this may be not safe for work. So if – if, if you need to turn this off for a minute, if it triggers anything, it's probably a trigger warning. Uh, we understand. Let's only take a minute so you can fast forward, like, you know, hit the 30-second thing like twice. It'll be fine. Um, there are six quarterbacks who are undefeated against the Vikings in at least four games. Um, Jay Schrader, the old Redskins, um, Cardinals, Raiders quarterback, 4-0 against them, as are Peyton Manning and Phil Simms. Then you move up to 5-0. Uh, that's Ken Stabler, uh, who quarterbacked the last Vikings Super Bowl back in 1977, uh, was the winning quarterback in the game for the Raiders. Then you move up to 6-0. That would be a guy named Tom Brady, who is, uh, beat them five times with the Patriots and once more last year with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But there is no quarterback who has a longer undefeated streak against the Vikings in their 61 years in the league than – Mr. Unlimited himself, Russell Wilson, 7-0 and against the Vikings, uh, five of those in Seattle. Both of the games in Minneapolis were in 2015. They beat the Vikings 38-7 to in December. That game still ranks as the second biggest defeat in Mike Zimmer's history, tied with the NFC title game behind a point behind the Christian Ponder game in Lambeau in 2014. And then, of course, the Blair Walsh game was his last trip to the Twin Cities. So he also has a win at TCF against the Gophers. So he is 8-0 in his career against teams from Minnesota, 7-0 against the Vikings, going for number eight on Sunday. First time at U.S. Bank Stadium, first time dealing with the crowd noise there. But, uh, yeah, it's he's got quite a, quite a run against the Vikings in the course of his now 10-year career. Sounds like he's due for a loss, Mike. What are the chances of that? You're telling me there's a chance. Well, you know, it doesn't sound like a recipe for success for a team that could use a win, right? I mean, you own your own two. You could be two and zero, like they like to say uh, around there. 
probably deserve to be maybe one and one, but you're all, you know, you're what your record is and they're and two. And now you've got to try to beat a guy you've never beaten before. So, and you're trying to beat a quarterback who is similar in skill set and style to a guy who just put up over 400 all purpose yards on you and 34 points. So, you know, every week in the NFL is its own kind of animal, but it's also a, such a matchup league. And so you kind of look at Seattle and maybe not the same defense, at least on paper that you thought of for Arizona going into last week when Arizona had done so much to bottle up Tennessee the week before. I don't think Seattle's on that same plateau, at least as we think of them now, but offensively all the same types of problems that they can present to a Mike Zimmer defense that they've presented in the past when they've had quite a bit of success against them. And frankly, a Mike Zimmer defense that hasn't played very well so far this year, um, which, you know, statistically has been borne out. So not a great matchup, but like you said, Andrew, like it's like, they should probably should have beaten him last year if, if they make a yard or if they get a stop. So again, it's the woulda, coulda, shoulda game against Russell Wilson could have had him sometimes, but he is the master of the great escape. I was just going to say, he certainly is the master of that. And we should point out, for the QB wins on a real stat crowd. Uh, he has had some bad games against the Vikings. It, it is not just him. It's that this has been an awfully good team, and, and including uh, the first two years they would have played him would have been a, a team that lost the NFC title game. And then, of course, 2013, a team that went on to win the Super Bowl. So the both of those games, he was efficient, kind of the game manager type. But that game in 2018 where the Vikings almost got shut out, he was awful. And he was like 10 of 20, threw for less than 100 yards, ran for 60-something yards, but um, has had some bad days, was not great in the, the frigid Blair Walsh game either. I mean, not that anyone was, but to the point of the great escape, he made the one play in that game that turned it. When that bad snap, he runs back to, I think, his own 45-yard line. Vikings got caught napping. He pitches it to Tyler Lockett. They scored the one touchdown in that game. And then last year, they had two minutes to go, 94 yards, no timeouts. He converts two fourth downs, the one uh, to DK Metcalf over Cameron Dantzler down the sideline, and then the one to win the game that uh, earned the indelible slow motion cam cover your effing guy clip from Harrison Smith. So uh, they have had some days where they bottled him up, but he has more often than not made the one play he's had to make. Yeah, I was just going to bring up that Cam, that Cam Dantzler, Harrison Smith interaction because we might see Cam Dantzler again on the field on Sunday because Bashad Breeland was not practicing. Bashad Breeland was not practicing on Wednesday of this week. He had re-injured his shoulder and was dealing with a back injury um, at the end of that Cardinals game. So we don't know if he's going to be available. Cameron Dantzler could go from a week one scratch to potentially playing if they choose to play him over Chris Boyd um, as that outside corner. How confident are you in the secondary going against Russell Wilson after they show more coverage busts against Kyler Murray? Uh, ben, what, what, what are your thoughts on the secondary? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the concern is that, you know, we talk about the Seattle defense being quite a bit different than it used to be, probably both schematically and in production. This Vikings defense has the same questions. I mean, I think we were talking about it this morning. That Well, I think Chris Goggins and I were talking about it this morning. He was out here uh, for in his roving tour of the Twin Cities before going to the Kaprizov press conference. This secondary has a lot of guys that haven't played together. They have a lot of guys that just haven't panned out. I mean, the reason you have guys like Breland and Patrick Peterson are because your first round pick from last year, you had to cut because of a domestic assault charge and your third round pick 
hasn't been good enough to get on the field. So this has been a secondary that has gone from getting, you know, from a, a massive liability at the beginning of the Mike Zimmer era to a real strength of this team, thanks to all the investments they've made in guys like Rhodes and Waynes and re-signing Harrison Smith and Alexander and Terrence Newman and Anthony Harris, and you go down the line, to now, I think, being something of a liability again, or at least being something that you can take advantage of when it's a group that hasn't played together a lot and still kind of figuring some things out. You see the coverage bus, especially with quarterbacks that can get out of the pocket. That was one of the big plays of the game last week with Kyler Murray on the 77-yard touchdown. And you, know, you have a guy in Russell Wilson that is awfully good at making plays outside the pocket. That's you know quite a bit of his MO, in fact, is, is finding those receivers. So when you got Metcalf and Lockett and Wilson running around, it's, it's, a, it's a tough assignment. Yeah, Mike, I remember asking Bashad Breeland before the season started, how is this secondary going to come together, even though it hadn't played a single snap together in the preseason? And he was saying, we'll be fine. We're all veterans. We've been there before. Uh, well, that wasn't the case when Patrick Peterson's trailing on a 77-yard touchdown to Rondale Moore or Breeland's getting beat deep by A.J. Green for a 20-yard catch. I guess from your perspective, Mike, this Vikings secondary still seems to be a work in progress, doesn't it? Uh, that's a polite term. I mean, in addition to the injuries he's dealing with, Bashad Breeland is dealing with being pro football focus's lowest graded cornerback through two weeks. I mean, he's just been it, it, whatever you want to say about pro football focus. It's that has matched the eye test. He's gotten beat for a lot of big plays. Mackenzie Alexander is not graded a whole lot better. And even Patrick Peterson is kind of below that halfway mark. And I think Peterson's been okay. I don't think he's been really the problem there. And they've probably made up for some of the, some of their coverage has been pretty good among the linebackers. And, you know, I think Xavier Woods has played pretty well. And then you've got Harrison Smith back there. So it's not like you don't have any talent, but when you've got the same problem with the corners now with basically three different sets of, um, you know, exactly three different sets of, uh, you know, people, three different sets of personnel. When you went from, you know, kind of the, the roads, Wayne's, um, you know, that era to all the young guys last year. Now these guys this year and everybody's been struggling. Do you wonder at a certain point if it's scheme or something else, or is it just a matter of they're getting beat and, you know, offenses are so tough these days that that's, that's the way it's going. Yeah. They've had a lot of issues with just busted coverages, which is, I mean, somebody just getting their assignment wrong. It seemed to be Ben, you were telling me on, on the broadcast, I guess, Akib Tlaib, who was calling the game, um, was the color commentator was talking about how Peterson should have carried Rondale Moore up the sideline. Um, you've got Breland playing the wrong technique at the end of the first half in Cincinnati where, where Jamar Chase is getting behind him for a big touchdown. I mean, that's a, that's a mistake that Cameron Dantzler made in his first NFL game against Aaron Rodgers. Like you don't, you don't want to see a veteran making that kind of mistake. So it's consistency with Breland. It's Peterson not always being in the right spot himself. Um, yeah. It just seems like, We've got some mistakes that if you're the Vikings, you're hoping, hey, this stuff is going to get corrected moving forward. Um, but if it's Cameron Dantzler getting thrown in there against Russell Wilson, it's kind of restarting that process all over again and, and putting in a new piece and trying to get them on the same page. Uh, ben, from what we've seen from the Seattle's offense, I think only one receiver has more yardage than Tyler Lockett at this point. That seems to spell trouble for a defense that has been kind of getting beat deep recently. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is probably one of the better receiving tandems in the league with Lockett and DK Metcalf. I mean, it, that's, they're different guys, certainly physically Metcalf is, is built as uh, 
mean, he's as well built as as you'll find in an NFL receiver. Lockett is is a different guy. I mean, not quite that big, and has been there an awfully long time. In fact, he was like as we talked about at the beginning that play in that game uh, in the playoffs in '15. He was on the other end of that pass from Russell Wilson, so he's been there for quite a while. But has been a great deep threat. Has had a, a really good rapport with Russell Wilson for a long time. Um, you have two receivers here that have logged a fair amount of time with their quarterback and know how to run that offense, know how to win in terms of beating the man that covers them in that offense. And they're, they're a little bit different. They have a different coordinator. They've, they've kind of gone from uh, being a running team with Marshawn Lynch to let Russ cook to um, I don't know what we'd call this now, let Russ uh, order takeout. I'm, I'm not quite sure. It's not quite the same as it's been, but they are still able to open it up and, and throw as much as they need to do it. So yeah, it, it's when you have these receivers, it's an awfully tough matchup. I think a lot of what the Vikings are banking on here is you're back at us bank. You're on the turf. Maybe you get a split second of hesitation from the offensive line, but because of the crowd noise and you can get that pass rush after Wilson, after they, they really got quite a bit of pressure on Kyler Murray, especially without blitzing him last week. So Maybe you bank on that. Maybe that helps you. But if it doesn't, if that pass rush doesn't get home, I think it's a pretty tough matchup for the secondary. Yeah, that's a good point. I think the Vikings pass rush is the one area they can try to at least get the advantage against Russell Wilson. And I know Wilson's Wilson's not played behind a lot of great offensive lines either. I mean, that's been an issue for them for a long time. It has. Yeah, it has. And and Wilson is, what is he, 32, 33? He's getting up there in age. So he's... You would think theoretically he's not as mobile as he used to be. I know Dalvin Tomlinson said today that in the Vikings film study of Wilson, they're seeing him step up into the pocket more than he had previously in his career and certainly more than Kyler Murray does. Murray's more of the the 24 years old, more of the kid who could just outrun everybody. And Wilson is always looking down. 15 yards and just chuck it deep anyway. (laughs) Exactly. Um, They seem to think Russell Wilson's more of the guy who's going to try to be that pocket passer and always keep his eyes down the field. And you might be able to keep him in the pocket a little more, but that doesn't mean he's not going to be as elusive as he's always been in trying to bring down. Um, Mike, does it make you feel any better when you see Derrick Henry run for three touchdowns and put up almost however many, 150, 200 yards, whatever it was? He just ran through Seattle. Uh, the last Maybe game. Maybe you feel better. I needed him for fantasy football. <laughs> last, we'll do, yeah, we'll do Ben's fantasy football team segment here shortly. Um, we've, got, we've got a team, though, in the Seahawks who just – just totally blew a lead. It was 30 to 16, I think, in the fourth quarter. They lose in overtime to Tennessee. And a big part of that is, is Derrick Henry. So Dalvin Cook time. Yeah, probably. And I mean, that's the, the offense has been was pretty efficient last week. That they had the right mix. They they blocked well, I thought, for for Cook and for and for Kirk Cousins for the most part, too. Um, I mean, that's that's the thing where we might be overlooking in all this. I don't think Seattle's very good. I don't even know if that's a playoff team this year. So, you know even if Russell Wilson kind of has this history against the Vikings, it's been with much better teams than in the past. Now, I don't think the Vikings are all that good either. So take that for what it's worth, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if the Seahawks team is going to win more than eight or nine games when the year is done. And so you take that, you look at a leaky defense, there's an opportunity to win this game, especially at home. It's just a question of, can the Viking, the Vikings been so feast or famine in these first two games, they've made some, splash plays and giving up some massive plays can can their feasts be stronger than their famines are 
I don't know. I'm, I'm, you know where I'm going with this. I can't complete this. I can't complete the thought because in the midst of recording this, I just learned that the wolves and Gerson Rosas have parted ways. So I don't know. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mike. So I didn't, I didn't realize there was this breaking news. And that's why, that's why I got the perplexed look when I was like, Derek Henry, Mike, talk about it. Yeah, what happened there? I have no idea. We can continue with the Derek Henry thought. I'm trying to sort this all out and try to coordinate an emergency. Do we, do we want to talk wolves? Do you think it's what the, uh, what the listeners want? No, they want Vikings, but it's just uh, that's a, it, as, as, uh, as dysfunctional as the Vikings might seem at times, uh, they've got nothing on a franchise that five days before uh, media day has parted ways with their team president. Oh, man. Wow. That is always something. something with them. That is some dysfunction. So, Ben, does Derrick Henry do more for your fantasy team or your confidence that the Vikings can get the running game going? Well, he did a lot for my fantasy team. I needed it. <laughs> I was I, I lost week one, scored a bunch of points, even though Ryan Fitzpatrick got hurt. Um, so needed needed a bounce back, and uh, Derrick Henry got it done for me last week. So kudos to him um, for for coming through in the clutch. You know that was that was big for us. We you know we needed to get off the stride and, and get back to it. Just gave the guys a lot of confidence going into week three here. Um, it is an interesting scheduling quirk, getting back to things that people actually care about, um, that they now have two weeks in a row where they're facing opponents that just played Tennessee. So you do have some recent film of how a team that kind of looks like you tried to attack your upcoming opponent. I thought the Vikings did an awfully good job against the Cardinals with a lot of the, a lot of the lateral motion stuff they did with KJ Osborne, taking a defender – out of the box because the Cardinals play so much man coverage and so much single high stuff that they were able to get a lot of the matchups they wanted, get people moving laterally and hit it with Dalvin Cook going upfield. So I don't know that that plays quite the same way with the Seahawks because the, the typical thing with them has been the cover three stuff and, and they've probably changed a little bit to more split safety. But if you get more zone stuff, you may not have quite the same ability to, to motion and move guys where you want with that stuff. But yeah, I, I think when Derrick Henry just did what he did, it, it tells you that you can win up front and you can beat that front and get some things open. So if, if that's the case and Dalvin Cook is ready to go, did a little bit of work today coming off that ankle injury, but I, I think he'll be good to go. And if you get him on that turf, yeah, I, I think it could be a big day for him. That, that would certainly help a lot because as soon as he went out of that game last year, we saw some things change and they're just a different team when they don't have him. And Mike Zimmer said today, he makes us go. Yeah. And, and I guess I wanted to transition now and talking about, we should discuss this Vikings offense and how efficient they have been when they aren't getting penalized every other play. Um, they finally came out and obviously in the second half in Cincinnati was a lot better. That game in Arizona was a lot better. They didn't even have a third down attempt in their three yeah. touchdown drives in that first half against the Cardinals. You'd mentioned cook going out. Cook had to go out at the end of that game in Arizona, yet Kirk Cousins still threw six straight passes, got him into field goal range to potentially win that game, even though they didn't. Has this offense turned a corner at all, in your opinion, where they can go three wide, they can kind of spread things out a little bit, find K.J. Osborne, have a reliable third outlet. Kirk is not turning the ball over. He got the ball out quickly against Arizona. Uh, is this sustainable in terms of what they've got going on on offense right now? I mean, I, I think some of it has to do with is the protection still good enough to hold up week to week? And some of that is Cousins, as we talked about last week, kind of this idea of quarterbacks contributing to their own pass protection. 
And I think Cousins did a, an awfully good job of that last week, you know, both in terms of getting rid of the ball and making a lot more plays with his feet than we typically see. He has the two runs, the one for a first down on the second five, and then the 29-yarder, which was the longest of his career, I think, by 10 yards. But then the throw he makes for the touchdown where he's rolling to his left and throwing – I can't remember if it's the Thielen or Jefferson. I think it was Jefferson. Um, for the touchdown as he's kind of falling away, that, that's a more athletic play than we've seen Kirk Cousins make for the most part. I mean, that, that was a heck of a throw. So both in getting rid of the ball and extending plays, he was awfully good last week. If he keeps that stuff up, if they continue to protect, if they continue to open holes for Dalvin Cook, I think that makes an awfully big difference. And I also think the, the emergence of K.J. Osborne is a big deal because we saw it last week when they get in three wide, they now have an, a guy that Cousins seems to trust, a guy that – can make some big plays that can make some big catches for first downs, can make some plays downfield, um, can give you a matchup problem, which I think they have had a hard time creating in this offense. As much as it's the, the Kubiak-Shanahan thing, it hasn't had quite as many wrinkles as some of the modern versions you see in Green Bay and San Francisco. I think Osborne gives them the ability to do a little bit more of that. So, yeah, I think a lot of this is sustainable, but it comes down to, I think, Cousins, and the guys in front of him, does all of that hold up and, and continue the way it's looked probably the last six quarters or so? Yeah, with K.J. Osborne, he's done so much for them in terms of being able to move on from Irv Smith because I feel like yeah. he's, he seems to have taken up a lot of those targets that maybe Irv would be getting on those passing downs. Um, and he's allowed them to kind of change their personnel where they don't have to have two tight ends on the field all the time like they did previously in this offense when Chad Beebe was your third receiver and he had to be a slot receiver because he just wasn't built to do anything else. KJ reminds me so much of Jarius Wright, and it's not just because he wears number 17. It's also because they've gone to him on third downs, fourth downs. I believe I've looked, I looked this up. I believe he's five for five on pass attempts his way on third and fourth downs, converting yeah. those so often in these two games. He's clutch. He can line up anywhere. Versatile third target for them that Kirk can go to when 19 and 18 are taken away from him. I think you're right, Ben. I think his emergence has been such a big part of this early run on offense that allows Kirk that trust to just say, hey, I can fire a slant inside to KJ when he's against their their worst corner out there in Arizona and be able to find that when I need it. And they just haven't had that. And we, How many times did we talk in the past about how Kirk is trying to make Chad Beebe happen and it, wasn't, yeah. and it just wasn't happening? And he's, he's been able to make KJ Osborne happen here. And, and I think – that's one of those rare things that we saw in training camp and it's actually carried over. Well, and you bring up trust and I think that's an important point with cousins because we have seen it over the last couple of years. So many of his targets have been concentrated on either Jefferson and Thielen or Diggs and Thielen. And yes, they're great receivers, but some of that has been, he just doesn't seem to trust his other options that much. It's either those two guys or check down to Dalvin cook. We never really saw him have that rapport with Kyle Rudolph. We've seen flashes of it with Irv Smith. I think we felt, we felt like we were going to see more of that with Irv Smith this year, but obviously Irv Smith is hurt. So it does seem like you're not going to get the ball consistently from Cousins unless he has a little bit of a, a trust factor with you. And Osborne, I think the situations where he's caught the ball shows you that he has it. And the fact that he's produced in those situations probably means to, it continues to build on itself and they'll get more of those looks. So I think the trust factor here is, is a big part of the whole thing with him. Hey, Mike, uh, I just saw Carl Anthony Towns tweet WTF. 
Is that true? That's actually 100% true, yes. <laughs> well, it, uh, it's, uh, yeah, good times over at the over at the 601 First Avenue, is it not? I it's just wanted to find... Yeah, I just wanted to pull you into the podcast, Mike, with that little that little tidbit. Uh, no, I'm listening really, now. I'm listening. <laughs> it's really going well. Um, Mike, in terms of you talking about Seattle not being a really good team this year, has the Vikings offense done anything this year in terms of carrying over some of that success from last year to show to you that maybe they are a good team on that side of the ball this year? I think so. I think they've been, you know, the, the first game was hard to judge because they committed so many penalties. They were, you know, they were behind the down and distance so much. And a lot of that was their own fault. It wasn't just pre-snap. It was holds. It was, you know, problems with protecting Kirk Cousins and opening lanes for Dalvin Cook. Um, but, you know, they still put up 24 points in that game, had had the potential to get more in overtime. And then last week had 33, could have been 36, some might say, um, down, down in the end of that game. So, you know, it feels like what they want to do well on offense has been going pretty well. It's, it's kind of a, if you're a Vikings fan and a, you know, if you're Mike Zimmer, it's kind of a shame. You've kind of wasted two pretty efficient games from Kirk cousins. You've wasted two good Kirk games on what proved to be losses. Um, but you know, I said going into the year that for this to be a successful team, I thought the defense had to be better than the offense because that's just been the identity of Mike Zimmer's teams. I still think the offense is pretty far ahead of the defense at this point, and that's a problem right now. Yeah, Ben, do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I mean, to the point of the wasting good Kirk, the the stat that stuck out to me, I was looking at a lot of this stuff up Monday morning after the game. Uh, it's the seventh time, I believe, in I think 27 games where Cousins has posted a passer rating over 100 that they've lost. So it's had 27 games in Minnesota pass rating over hundred, seven of those have been losses of those seven. The only one he had a higher passer rating was last year against Dallas. So in other words, he was more efficient on Sunday to the extent that we trust passer rating is a, a modern stat. I know it's not the best indicator of quarterback play, but it's also harder to look at things like EPA per play going back through his entire career because we don't have that database. So that's what we're working with. But he has played awfully well. He, he made some plays on Sunday that I think we don't see him make. He has not turned the ball over. He's not really even come close to turning the ball over. The strip sacks haven't been there. The interceptions, the, the throws into traffic where you feel like he's you know tempting fate to some degree, there hasn't been much of that. And I think the question is, is bad Kirk coming? If not, then you're fine. But if bad Kirk is coming at some point and you wasted two games of good Kirk, that's a missed opportunity. Just like winter is coming, bad Kirk might be yeah. coming as well. That's always the question. <laughs> Soda Vikings. Um, ben, what do you make of, we heard Mike Zimmer say this morning that Kirk's leadership has improved. Now, Kirk was asked about that today and he said, I think I've been the same guy the entire time. But I believe Mike Zimmer's full quote was uh, Kirk's leadership has improved, just being around the guys more, not being so much to himself. Uh, but he said, I think those kind of things are important. What do you make of that, Ben? Yeah, I mean, I think, and I asked Kirk as a follow-up to that, kind of the fact that you are more familiar with things now. It's, it's more of the same people. It's more of the same faces and routines. Has that helped? And he said, yeah, I wasn't going to come in in 2018 
and just kind of take over when it was a team that went to the NFC championship game the previous year. So I think some of it he said was knowing my role, knowing my place. Now it's like, yeah, it, it, you can say it's my team. I've been here four years. I've been here longer than guys like Justin Jefferson. I've been here longer than a lot of the linemen I'm playing with. So there are, there's more of a, a weight, I think that comes with that. And I, maybe he's a little bit more comfortable because of that. And I, it was also interesting. I think a couple of weeks ago, Zimmer said that he and cousins watched film together for the first time. And, and he said a couple of times that cousins has been more willing to kind of share his thoughts on what works and what doesn't work in the offense. So he's with a coordinator now that has been his quarterback's coach. I think there's a level of comfort there. He's got receivers that he trusts and receivers that are awfully good. So yeah, I think some of the, the leadership stuff changes from that, but I also think some of it is probably just um, him feeling comfortable because he's been here long enough to kind of know that his voice carries a little more weight. That, that'd be my guess. And I think that works a lot better when he's not the one losing you games, right? I mean, that, yeah, that, helps that, too. that works when he's not throwing three picks against Atlanta in week six last year, and it's making the front office rethink the entire team heading into their bye week last year. Um, the fact that Kirk has been turnover free, Mike Zimmer lauded that part of his game. He also lauded the fact that it's been really accurate, uh, timely, getting the ball out, all those things. So if that can continue, I think this whole leadership thing or Cousins' voice carries a lot more weight. Obviously, winning, Kirk says it himself, winning is the only thing that matters. And if you continue to do that, your voice is going to carry a lot more weight than if you were making the mistakes and then turning around and trying to, to rally everybody else together. Because I would still say that when you look at this team and when things are going wrong and you look on the sideline, the guy who's speaking typically from what I've seen is Dalvin Cook. And I still think yep. this is Dalvin Cook's offense. And then if, if this team is constructed the way Mike Zimmer wants it, it's not even the offense's team, it's the defense's team. But that's just not how this season has gone so far. It's been the offense uh, keeping them in that game at Arizona, not the defense. Um, and then it was basically the offense clawing them back into that game in Cincinnati after starting so poorly. So it's interesting with Kirk, because I don't think you could pull that locker room and say, who's the leader on this team? I don't think Kirk wins that poll. I agree with you. But I do think the relationship with Mike Zimmer is such where maybe Zimmer's realizing, I just thought it was interesting that Zimmer decided to say that today. And it makes me wonder if Zimmer is trying to publicly patch that relationship a little bit and say, and, and be nice to Kirk basically publicly um, for a reason that, Hey, Kirk is actually keeping you in some of these games. Yeah. And the, the relationship has not been good. I mean, the relationship has had some rocky points certainly had a lot of those this summer and it, it's a weird dynamic if you're him I think because you walk into a team that has showed it could win without you you have a, a head coach that is was on the record before they signed you of I want to win the way we've won in the past I don't know that I want a high-priced quarterback he's on the record about I want to win with defense I want to win with running the ball but you sign a contract that is going to bring a lot of attention and a lot of scrutiny because you are being paid to be the man, even if this team is not counting on you to do that. So it is a really weird place to be, you know, kind of seen as the alpha quarterback because I don't know that he's that guy anyway, but even if he was, it's like, it, there's a lot of dynamics of, of people saying, we don't want that. We don't want you to be that. 
we have to pay you that way because that's what the market bears and that's what you were able to get because of the position you're in. But we don't want to structure ourselves that way. It's just, it's a weird setting if you're him to say, this is my team. This is my offense. We go as I go. Um, I, I agree. It, it would be, I think if you pull up players in that locker room, I think Dalvin Cook probably wins that vote. Uh, I think Dalvin Cook's probably just more comfortable in that role in terms of the just kind of personality stuff. But um, it, it's also not a setup that defers to the quarterback a way a lot of teams would do with a quarterback that's been in the league 10 years. A win on Sunday would go a long way, certainly, um, if Kirk plays well and is a reason why they beat Seattle and Russell Wilson for the first time. In that vein, let's open the mailbag. Uh, Mike, we got a question here that I want to go to you first on. Joe asks, I would consider Seattle a must-win for multiple reasons. One, they are in the same conference, and losing to Arizona will haunt us later. So if we drop two conference games right away, we're in deep trouble. How much do you guys consider this a must-win? It's up there. I mean, it's, you know, 0-3 in a 17-game season probably isn't, you know, until you're eliminated from the playoffs officially, like there's not a true must-win game. But, yeah, I mean, you're starting to see – and it would have mattered to how it happened, um, if it was a butt-kicking or if it was another kind of heartbreaker, I think those would those would carry a little bit of weight if it was just that – you know, if it was a ho-hum game that things just didn't go their way and it would still, it would still hurt, but you know, you're starting to get to the point in the year where, you know, if you fell to 0-3, then you're starting to think, okay, um, got Cleveland the week after that. Cleveland looks like they're, you know, going to be a, a, a pretty good team. They were certainly a playoff team the year before. Then you got Detroit here. You would imagine you could at least get well there. And then you got to go, I think, on the road to Carolina, which has showed a pretty stout defense so far this year. And then they got the bye. So, what if you go into the bye week one and five? Um, is that a point where changes get made? I know you were one and five at the bye last week, but or last year, but I mean, you got to start thinking about in a year where people's job security is being talked about, you start that poorly and, you know, a couple of home losses are part of it. That starts to carry some weight, I think. And I don't know exactly how the Wilfs are thinking. I don't know what, what the, what the process is here, but it doesn't feel like a must win, but it would be a, it would be a bad loss that would uh, put them on a certain trajectory. Let's say that. The post-buy schedule is fairly difficult as well. We should remind people it's Dallas at home, which I think with Dak Prescott, that's a tougher matchup given the weapons he has. It's then Baltimore on the road. It's the Chargers on the road the week after. So they go East Coast, West Coast, two young quarterbacks. Then it's the Packers at home, and then it's out to San Francisco on the road again. So that's, that's your five games after the bye. You get Dak Prescott, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, Aaron Rodgers, and whoever the 49ers quarterback is, but they don't really go as the quarterback goes so much anyway. So it, yeah, it's a tough schedule coming out of that. And you do need to, as we, for the same reasons we've talked about with needing to stack wins against Cincinnati and Arizona, the fact that you didn't do that now means you do kind of need to steal one of these here. To, to get back on the track. In that vein, Ben, Neil asks, our buddy Neil from London wants to know, if this season goes downhill and in a hypothetical scenario, they decide to fire, they as in the ownership, decide to fire only the front office or the coaching staff, Neil wants to know which way would you go? He said there's plenty of arguments on both sides. Boy, um, 
I, it's hard to see that scenario, first of all. I mean, I, I, I've heard some chatter about that, possibly, but it, it, I think it's harder to fire a GM and hire a new one while you keep the coach and say, we're not going to let you hire the coach, but everything else is yours to, to control. I, I think part of me thinks that, that Zimmer just on his merits would have a better chance to stay than Spielman. But I, I also think the structure of it would be, a, would make the job tough because if you're telling somebody, Hey, you're the GM, but we're keeping the coach and you've got this quarterback with a $45 million cap hit next year. That is a tough sell. So I almost think if you're going to pick one, it's maybe easier to keep Spielman and boot Zimmer. I, I think the more like the scenario is probably a, a hard reboot if you're going to do it, but I guess I would maybe lean towards keeping Spielman and moving on from Zimmer. If that was going to go that way, I, that's just kind of a hunch and knowing a little bit about you know, Spielman's kind of relationship with the Wilts, but uh, that's my, my two cents on it without having thought about it a whole lot. Yeah. Mike, what do you think? I tend to agree with that. It's, it's, you know, in terms of merit, I think Zimmer might have a better case to stay, especially when you consider, you know, I mean, if you, if you believe what he has said and you believe what Everson Griffin has tweeted, the, the quarterback that he was given, um, Kirk Cousins, it's been an un- uncomfortable, you know, time there. And that if that had gone differently, if he'd you know, been given a quarterback who didn't command so much of the cap room, um, that this might have played out differently here, or there there might have been a different kind of point they're reaching here right now. But that said, structurally, like Ben said, it's so hard to imagine a team, you know, being able to hire a legitimate general manager and then saying, "But you got to keep this coach." Unless that GM really happened to be a big Mike Zimmer fan and said, "Yes, I like the track we're on. We just need to do a better job with our personnel." Um, so yeah, I but but like Ben said too, I think the the most likely scenario, if it comes to it, is that it's a hard reboot. These guys have been together for eight years this was Spielman's you know hand-picked coach his the first coach he was able to hire as GM you know the you had Leslie Frazier but that was you know he inherited him basically as an interim even though he was here already um you figure it's more of a package deal than anything else yeah I, I would kind of see it that way as as well just because as for all the reasons you mentioned but also there's certain decisions that they were just kind of tied together on um, and even if Kirk was a major decision by Rick Spielman, I think Zimmer would have to go down with that ship if Kirk ends up sinking the season. Um, because really, that's to me, that's that's what's going to have to happen. Kirk is going to have to turn back into a pumpkin, basically, for them to go downhill the way that this would have to for for the, a cleaning house to happen. Um, it, yeah, one in five, zero oh and six going into the bye week, something like that. Um, yeah, Lee even asks, will Owen six warrant a firing for Mike Zimmer? And Mike, I would have to think so. If you're sitting at the bye week, Owen six, then that means you lost to Detroit, who is kind of openly tanking, in my opinion, by taking yes. that Jared Goff contract that have to warrant a firing at that point. I think you could, I think even, even one in five is a question for me. If they're two and four, um, you know, if they've kind of rebounded to a certain degree here and, you know, you still see some signs that once things come together, they might be able to fight for a playoff spot. I don't think they do anything at that point, but if, if you are one in five or certainly Owen six, I think there's certainly a case to be made at the buy. All right. Nick's got a little bit more of an optimistic view. He says the defense is starting to find its stride. How many sacks do you think they will have? 
And also, are the corners going to be able to hold up against Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf? I will say, Mike, the, the Vikings are second in the NFL in sacks at this point. It's been a little, you know, an issue to corral Kyler Murray, obviously, with 400 yards and four touchdowns. But um, if they could get Russell Wilson down on the ground as much as they got Tyler, or excuse me, Kyler Murray and, and Joe Burrow, I do think they've got some decent chances. It would certainly help their corners hold up because, as we'd mentioned, Patrick Peterson's had some coverage busts. Bashad Breland's been bad, and now he's injured. Um, and it could be Cameron Dantzler time on Sunday at U.S. Bank Stadium. Yeah, and I was kind of surprised just reading the pro football focus numbers and you know seeing the, the Vikings corners ranking so low wasn't terribly surprising to me. Seeing them 25th overall in, in the defensive grade wasn't really surprising to me, but their pass rush is graded 29th right now, and they're 30th in tackling. And the tackling one maybe isn't too much of a threat. They missed some tackles certainly on Sunday, especially that late uh, that late first half drive that let uh, Arizona get a field goal when they probably shouldn't have. But 29th in pass rush, considering all the sacks they've had, maybe does reflect how much feast or famine there has been. Where where if they're not getting home, they're not containing at all, and they're giving up some big chunk plays. Yeah, I don't see that. I really don't. I can't. It's not like I watch 31 other teams every snap, but just watching this Vikings team back every snap on defense over the last two games. I don't understand how they could rank that low because they have been doing very well at getting home. The blitzes are working. Um, you, you saw, um, you've seen Nick Vigil, Eric Hendricks, Harrison Smith get sacks, get involved in there. And you've just seen ridiculous plays by Kyler Murray specifically against the pressure. When Steve Weatherly is a free runner and he's going after Kyler Murray just before halftime of Sunday's loss. And then you see Kyler spin away and find Rondale Moore for a 77-yard touchdown that statistically is just going to go down as a quarterback hurry for Steven Weatherly when it could have very easily been a sack and he misses him by just a fingertip length. I think those things can change the numbers and the metrics and the analytics so drastically that it's almost unfair to the guys who were doing the pass rushing because they were that close. And it was funny to hear Dalvin Tomlinson say today to, to the Twin Cities reporters, he was asked about how, how debilitating is that to be so close to a guy and miss. And he said, Oh, it's the worst thing like that we can go through to just be that close to sacking the quarterback. And he makes a gigantic play. That's just kind of how it's been. And, and you bring up feast and famine and that's kind of how football is. But I think the potential of this pressure group with, with guys like Everson Griffin, who didn't even play Sunday, Sheldon Richardson, who really hasn't even made much of a, a mark yet on defense. I really think they can come through and be one of the NFL sack leaders at the end of the season. It's just going to come down to, can they, can they actually land some of these plays uh, and, and reach that potential and not get busted coverages like they had against the Cardinals? Because you can't afford that. You can't afford Patrick Peterson letting Rondell Moore run 77 yards down the sideline because Patrick Peterson jumped a DeAndre Hopkins route underneath. Like that's just not something you can have happen. And it makes your pass rush look bad when really on that play, I don't think it was that bad. Um, I got one. I got one from okay. Danny here that I'd like you to address. Um, I think he said, I think Ben could have run through the holes. The offensive line was opening up last week for Dalvin <laughs> cook. What do you chalk up to the improved running game guy settling in gelling a bit, or was there a specific scheme change? Yeah, I was really impressed with some of the scheme stuff that, that Clint Kubiak was able to put in some of the blocking schemes where they they're almost trapping Chandler Jones on some of those runs. There were runs where Dalvin cook picked up 14, 16 yards and Chandler Jones is flying off the edge and it looks like he's going to get Dalvin. And then all of a sudden CJ Ham is coming across the formation and getting him at the last second and cutting him off. And that allows Dalvin just the inch he needs to squeeze through up the middle. 
I think they did a really good job of anticipating what Arizona was going to do and getting the blockers in the right place. And it helps when, and this is going to help against Seattle too. When you have an offense like the Titans who have played your opponent previously in back-to-back weeks, Minnesota runs a very similar scheme on offense that Tennessee does. It's very similar to San Francisco, very similar to Green Bay, very similar to the Shanahan Kubiak, just uh, threads of running game that have kind of permeated throughout the NFL right now. And so right now we saw Tennessee get shut down against Arizona. The Vikings adjust some things, come out, and then just throttle Arizona with Dalvin Cook and his 150-some yards from scrimmage. Um, Now we just saw Tennessee destroy Seattle, and now Seattle's coming to town. And I wonder if we're going to see Minnesota do some similar adjustments, see Kubiak find ways that Tennessee was able to spring some openings for Derrick Henry, and maybe you could do some similar things with Dalvin Cook. I think that helps, but that was a very, it was very well-called a very well-schemed game. And specifically with the running game plans um, that, that Clint Kubiak was able to do on Sunday in Arizona. And also I think we can't discount the improvement of Garrett Bradbury, getting everybody on the same page, um, actually improving in some of his cover or his protection calls. Cause it was just so bad in Cincinnati um, that you didn't see these missed blocks or guys kind of looking back at each other after the play and saying, wait, I thought you had that guy. Um, you didn't see any of that. And so I think there was improvement just across the board. And, and we, re- I think we really would be talking about this a little differently uh, about this Vikings team had that, that uh, 37 yard field goal, not gone wide, right. Um, so yeah, it was interesting, but I, I, the biggest difference I saw was some of that schematic stuff. And that's going to help this offensive line moving forward. Um, all right, Adam, let's, let's end on this one. Adam's got a question. He wants to know, with KJ Osborne's emergence in the first two weeks of the season, is there another player from the last couple drafts or last few years, undrafted free agency, that kind of stuff, where you could see making a similar emergence and impact this season? Adam says, obviously, Christian Derisaw is an option in terms of a rookie coming in and making an impact. But are there any hidden gems on this team that could possibly do something similar? Um, that's tough. That's tough to that's tough to predict, but. Um, I do think moving forward, we might see um, more from some of these these backup um, defensive linemen. And I do I do wonder if Patrick Jones is going to make an impact at some point this season. Um, they've liked Armin Watts on the inside as well. And if they get more of a rotation going, more of this, not so much a platoon where they get four new defensive linemen entirely, but if they can get more of a rotation going, I, I do wonder if we're going to see some of those guys emerge. Because as Daniel Hunter starts doing what he's doing, as Everson Griffin makes more of an impact, as Michael Pierce, you know, kind of makes his presence felt, you're going to see offenses really lean away from some of these other guys. And that could, that could open up some opportunities for some of these young defensive linemen. So I'm curious to see how that kind of comes about. Uh, Mike, are there any young Vikings that you're curious of kind of seeing how maybe they could make more of their impact? I mean, Cameron Dance was a guy that if he can get it together, maybe he could kind of spring up and be that third corner in a way that Bashad Breeland hasn't been. Yeah, that was the name I was going to mention just because I thought he, you know, it was limited last week and it was kind of by necessity that he was even active. Um, but I thought he played reasonably well. He had that pass breakup in the fourth quarter that that forced Arizona to kick a field goal that that actually kept that game, you know, within that field goal for the Vikings where they, they could have won it. Um, he had a pretty high grade overall in his limited snaps. Um, and he's a guy I liked for a certain part of last year. I think he was inconsistent, but he, you know, he's a rookie. So last year, so there's, there's definitely some talent there. He he's got the right amount of size there. And 
Um, you know, at, at this point, he he certainly hasn't played. Uh, he he didn't play any worse last year than Bashad Breland has played this year. So I, I'd be curious to see more of him. And the, might be by necessity again if Breland is is not able to play because of injury. I might be be careful what you wish for because you'd want all those guys healthy against Russell Wilson, Tyler Lockett, DJ Metcalf, etc. Yeah, we just might find out if Cameron Dancer is ready to make that leap. Uh, we'll talk to you guys Sunday from U.S. Bank Stadium after the game again, the latest game against Russell Wilson, this one in Minneapolis. And we'll break all that down and we'll have all of that coverage at startribune.com. Maybe you should get off the podcast. <laughs>